Hello, I'm Joan. I'm a Canadian family physician who also works as a restorative medical educator, facilitator, and coach. I create spaces that rehumanize the work of healthcare. I'm creating this podcast to remind myself, as well as anyone else working in a helping profession, that when you are working and caring for your human patients, you are the other human in the room. Hello, healthcare humans. Thank you so much for coming back for another episode of The Other Human in the Room. Okay, so today we are talking about medical expert pressure. Um, I, again, came up with this topic um, out of a common theme I was hearing from some of my one-on-one coaching clients and some of the group coaching and just, again, conversations I'm having with other clinicians, as well as something that, I I mean, I relate to strongly as a a pressure I used to put on myself in the past. So um, some examples are uh, clinicians worrying that they aren't competent enough. They, because like the examples that they're giving are like, I don't know all the statistics. I don't have all the evidence off of hand. When a patient asks my opinion about something, I don't have like the fully fleshed out, um, you know, PhD thesis version of why it's a good decision for them to do it. And that to, to them, that was meaning they weren't competent and they weren't enough of an expert. And I have other um, colleagues who, you know, they actually are so worried about not having a good enough answer and really having the answer right away. And there's so much pressure on themselves to like, by the end of a given visit, if someone has a confusing symptom, they have to have that answer all by themselves. And um, so then they end up spending a ton of time afterwards ruminating over it, thinking over it, um, maybe actually sending like additional consults to and doing additional tests to just double check if what the heck could this answer be and really not um, thinking or trusting their assessment of the situation if they haven't found an answer by the end of their appointment. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, I think you can already see in those examples how we put so much pressure on ourselves to know all the things and not just know all the things so that we could like pull out the statistics and the right names and all of like the fancy facts at a, you know, in a moment's notice. Um, but also that we know the right answer to things. And, um, this ends up shooting us in the foot in so many ways that I'm about to elaborate on, including it ends up cutting us off from our knowledge and ignoring and devaluing what we do know. So that is why I'm using this podcast to argue that this, um, I'm supposed to be the medical expert. I'm supposed to be a competent clinician in any kind of way where it's ending up shaming you or you're, if you are like, I'm supposed to be the medical expert. And when you go through your day and you're like, I nailed it, then keep your frame. Okay. This isn't about the word expert or the word competent, but if your definition of a medical expert doesn't include you, that's where I have a problem because I'm hopefully going to be able to argue to you, you are exactly the expert you need to be. And it is inhuman oppressive stories that are making you think that an expert is someone other than you. Okay. So what's the the main big problem with having um, a story running in you that I'm supposed to know more than I do. I'm supposed to have the right answer and I don't. I'm supposed to be the expert and I don't I don't identify as an expert and now I'm beating myself up about it. 
Well, the big thing is if we're running those stories in our heads, our brain is ha- is in survival mode, right? Um, it's looking for the threat. And I think it's important to think back on and reflect back on in your life where you think you picked up this kind of story. I know I can think of many examples throughout my um, educational journey, um, you know, elementary school on and certainly in medical school, where we're trained to look for the mistake. We're trained to look for our the gap in our knowledge because in the in, and not in a way where it's like, ooh, this is an, oh, I didn't realize I didn't know this. How exciting. Now I want to like look it all up. This is so fascinating. Like it's, I hope some of you have some of that as well, where you're like, oh, you know what? I didn't realize I didn't know this. Ooh, okay. Now I want to go look it up because it's so interesting and I want to research it and learn more. That is not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about the kind of survival story that says that when you discover you don't know something, you go into your fear brain, your survival brain, because probably in the past you were shamed, punished, you know, othered, uh, excluded, laughed at because of the one thing you didn't know. Like, um, it's like, it's actually kind of a common joke that you hear, you know, whether it's the parent or the teacher or the mentor, you bring your exam to them and you got 99% on your chemistry exam. And then that person says to you, oh, you got 99%? What happened to the other 1%? Does that sound familiar? Did someone literally say that to you sometime in your past? Or even, I don't think anyone honestly ever said that literally to me, but it was just in the water, right? Like when you are what we consider sort of this high achieving, I was called a brainer. Like I, I, I was rewarded for doing well. I think a lot of it, there was external pressures, but also internal pressures because I wanted the reward of getting perfect. I wanted the reward of knowing absolutely everything. I wanted the reward of raising my hand and having the answer because that was so heavily praised. And it was something that I identified with so strongly. And it was like where I got kind of my dopamine hits in school, you know, that was how I was valued. And then I, therefore my brain started to view any gap in knowledge that I had as something that was bad and shameful. I actually right now can remember the one time I raised my hand and like asked a question and then everyone else in the class like laughed because it was something that I guess was common knowledge, but I didn't know it. Actually, I can think of a few examples. I used to pronounce a word wrong and someone laughed at me like, you don't know how to pronounce that word. And listen, like it's funny when people mispronounce words. This isn't about that one interaction, but so much of my identity and my safety and belonging in my brain was baked into being right and knowing all the answers. And that has been a story that has run inside of me for a very long time. And I'm going to now explain to you why it is not helpful, especially if you are in healthcare, okay? Um, I just want to say, like, we think this is what makes us high achieving is because we're so hyper fixated on not having any gaps in our knowledge, but it's actually keeping us miserable, especially in healthcare. Are you kidding me? The body of knowledge or the human body is impossibly large and always expanding. There's always like new studies that are going to come out and that's, that are going to show us that we were wrong about that last thing, right? Also, no one is actually grading you anymore. 50 different people that you see over the course of the week are going to have different opinions about what it is you're supposed to know and if they agree with the things that you know. And so, you know, if you're used to always like 
having one exam and then you just know if you passed or failed, did you get 100 or 95? That system does not work here in the real world where everyone's grading you with different rubrics, including ones that completely contradict each other, right? So the thing that is actually important, in my opinion and my experience, is fostering trust in what you do know and understanding that that is more than enough and and really therefore accessing the abundance of knowledge that you do have and can use in any given scenario. Because this is what happens when you don't do that. So if you chronically discount your knowledge, your brain will think it's not important to keep that knowledge and actually you'll start forgetting things. And it's certainly not important to reward you for the knowledge you do have. So you end up going through your day only noticing the times that you that you didn't know enough. And so you feel constantly inadequate, feel constantly incompetent and con- constantly not enough. And in that state, you stop listening to your patients as attentively because as soon as they start talking, your brain is frantically hunting for a good solution in order to feel okay and be like, okay, I didn't know the answer to the last one. Oh, now this patient's presenting something. What could it possibly be? I need to know the answer right away. You actually cut yourself off from like connection with your patient and, and listening to your patient and actually finding your best solution in that room because you're so busy worrying you won't find the right solution. Or And I'm saying you, let me know if you relate to that or not. That's certainly been my past experience. Also, I noticed sometimes I was getting resentful and angry at patients even who presented with complex and confusing symptoms that weren't easy to figure out because your brain see those ambiguous symptoms as a threat to your survival need to be right and know the right answer. Oh boy, right? So you think about, I do think, I suspect that is one of the reasons that that folks with like complex and, um, you know, not medically explained symptoms feel stigmatized. It's because like truly, at least some of their clinicians are like, what's wrong with you? Why are you here? Why are you making me feel like an I'm incompetent? Like we, we can get into that frame of mind with these stories and oh boy. So we know then we are not giving our patients our best and and we're feeling terrible too when we're not able to help them. And there's so much you can do without having a specific answer to a symptom. And we're totally missing that when we think we're just trying to shove them out the door because they're a reminder of our incompetence, right? So you don't provide your best care if you're constantly feeling under threat. You probably also won't stay in medicine that long, either you know, mentally you won't stay in. So now you're cynical and burnt out and you're just like doing it for the paycheck or you literally are going to leave medicine. Um, and that's like, if you have the story that the only way to be satisfied is to know all the things and have the answers to all the things. Like this is just not the profession to have that story running in you and to have satisfaction and, and, and fulfillment. And like, I really promise you that you don't need that story. I know it seems like it's the thing that's gotten you to where you are, but like really you have so much more capacity to learn if you are in like a calm place and a place of abundance, a place of knowing you are safe and secure, irrespective of knowing a specific fact or not. We've been conditioned and trained the opposite, but it is not what we have to continue. Okay. And just like to really sort of fact check this idea that there is a right answer, medicine is a heterogeneous discipline. There is very rarely a right answer. Like, have you ever, you know, seen two very smart people arguing? Like I recently joined Twitter and 
it was a choice I made. And I'm just noticing like all these really smart people, there's some good parts of it too, but there's all these really smart people who are just like, it has to be this way. It has to be this way. It has to be this other way and kind of arguing back and forth. And there's something, you know, that can be a useful way to learn new things. If you're like in a debate with each other and you're sharpening your opinion and you're getting nuance in your opinion, there's a way to do that. But I also see in there, or at least I'm projecting onto some of these arguments, just like this idea, like, I have to be right. No, you're wrong because I have to be right because it's my survival. You are disrespecting me by telling me I'm not right. Like, you see how it gets mixed up with identity in ways that are not useful. And really just overall, the idea of a right answer is like, and that we are supposed to have them all and our patients shouldn't, like it's up to us to have all the answers. It is such an oppressive and honestly like a supremacist way of thinking that's baked into our culture. We are trained in this system that creates supremacist, that was created out of supremacist, oppressive and paternalistic ways of thinking. Things are changing, but they aren't there yet. Because just to say like, a society that requires a certain elite set of people to hold all the knowledge and then like dole it out to the rest of the uneducated masses, it's not a system, whether you think of it as a morally right or wrong system, it's not a functional system. Like there's a good idea in there. Like, okay, I'm going to learn a lot about medicine and you're going to learn a lot about, you know, how to fix a car and you're going to learn a lot about how to educate people. And then like, okay, so then all together we can share what we've learned and not all of us have to become an expert in every single thing. That's not possible. But, and that's actually, I think, the healthy way to view it. It's like, listen, I have a lot of knowledge. I've spent a lot of time in training um, and I have learned a lot of things about the body. The part of it where it gets oppressive is where we start to feel like we, we need to defend that or hoard that, or we feel disrespected if someone offers us a different opinion or has a different view or piece of knowledge that that contradicts with our own. We identify so strongly with our role that we get like threatened and insulted if someone we view as a non-expert shares a different opinion. Then we know it's less about what we've learned and having like security and understanding and like faith in our knowledge. And it's more about the power and value that we think that that knowledge brings us. This might be a hard concept to really identify with, but in doing my own deep work on this, I've, that is what I've uncovered underneath. When I feel threatened and defensive and insulted, it's because I think I should know more than them because that's my value. Otherwise, what's the point of me going through all that training? You see, it's like, I earned my spot of having more power over you. How dare you threaten my power by saying that you don't believe me or have a different opinion? So like an example of this is when patients uh, Google their symptoms, right? Now, there are a lot of things that I want to have a whole other episode that's like about Dr. Google, I think, because there's like different aspects of what makes that um, a new situation and something that we all have to grapple with. Cause like Google exists folks, like literally we're all using it for all the purposes. So it's just a reality of our lives, helpful to get adjusted to it. But I'm just going to focus in on like one piece of it, which is again, that threatened piece that like, why did you even come to me? If like, what's my value as a doctor, if you've Googled it all, you're missing the fact that they are there because they do think you have some amount of value. And you think the fact that they've done some pre-research threatens your knowledge. And that's not, you're not doing that consciously. That's because we've been trained to think that way. And you think that it somehow discounts the knowledge you have. 
but you are the one who decides if you're going to discount your knowledge or not. Like people can believe whatever they want about whatever we want. Like an example I often give is like, there are people out there who believe the earth is flat. And if you're a person who believes the earth is flat, apologies if you are insulted by that. But I, I really feel like even not even being an expert in this, the shape of the world, there's enough knowledge out there that I feel confident in my opinion that the, the, the earth is round, right? But like, am I going to feel threatened and insulted if someone comes to me and is like, well, obviously the world is flat. And so say someone comes to you and they have um, researched something or they've gone to a, like an alternative practitioner or their culture or whatever reason, they're like really, really believing something about medicine that is not congruent with what you believe about medicine. It's fine if you are, you know, fatigued that day and aren't that excited about figuring out a way to find common ground. It certainly feels easier if someone just knows and believes you. I understand that. But like the fact that it feels threatening or insulting to you, that is the oppressive story here. That is the thing where you think that your expertise is the is something that is only for you, that it's threatening to share it with patients, right? And so um, I say this not, I hope this doesn't come across in a shaming way. I don't mean it in a shaming way. I mean it in a, trust me, it's so much richer. It's so much more powerful if you are not in defense mode, if someone comes to you with an alternative view, if instead you have security and um, confidence in the knowledge you do have, you have done the pre-work and ongoing work of really fostering you know, whatever framework of expertise feels good to you, I know what I am an expert in. No one can take that away from you, right? Because the thing is, we do have a ton of knowledge and experience, by the way. Like, and I just want to spend one minute talking about our experience. You know, what I hear in some of the stories of my clients when they're like, well, I don't have all the statistics and that means I'm incompetent. And that means I'm not an expert. That is such a load of bunk in my opinion. Not that they think that, but that someone made them think that, that someone conditioned them to devalue themselves if they don't have a certain statistic in their mind. Like statistics and facts, I know they got us like good tests in school, but they're like the least important things to have in your brain. What's more important to have in your brain is a reminder of all the experiences you've had with patients over time. And that knowledge of like, Ooh, okay. I remember when I had a patient that was similar to this and the outcome did matter this way or that way. Like there's stuff that books can never teach you that all of your years in healthcare absolutely will deepen what you learned in those textbooks and make it real and alive. And we often devalue that because there's not a way to like test it. There's not a way to like put it on an exam that you're like, I, I have just a, a knowledge and a body knowledge and a brain knowledge based on like all the times I have seen patients that I, I just know this is someone that needs some extra care, or I know this is someone that, you know, I could offer a solution and have them come back later. Like it, go, it always goes beyond the facts and the stats, right? And it's important to value that in addition to literally all the knowledge that you have and that you think, oh yeah, well that it's so fascinating. And I know I have it in my brain too. So it's like, I can think of things that right now, come to my brain very easily because I've like done them a lot. Like, I don't know, you know, which antibiotics go with which infections, you know, when I was first starting out, I had to look those up every time. And there's some of them where I still do have to look it up because it's been a while, but a bunch of them I don't because I literally do it all the time. And it's just a part of my body of knowledge. But as soon as it gets in that camp, 
the shaming part of me is like, yeah, well, because that must be easy. Like if you could remember, it must be easy. But look at what that expert knows that you don't know. And don't you want to beat yourself up that you don't know that? It's fascinating. It's just like, notice how the shaming parts of your brain don't care about what you already know, even if what you already know is growing. So instead of doing that, what's our new kind of like healthy human story? How do I want to think of myself and my expertise in a way that serves me and my patients? So one thing is to not be threatened if my patients have knowledge. Instead, I really believe and practice the belief that my patients each are the experts of their own lives, their own stories, their own bodies, period. I can release the supremacist paternalistic thinking that trained me to think I'm supposed to know better than them what they need. That's a big one. It sort of goes with like the previous episode where I talked about like not having to fix people. It's the same idea. So what a relief that I don't have to convince every single person that they all need to start the same first-line drug if there's some that are adamant they don't. That doesn't have to be my job anymore. Instead, I think of like, I have knowledge generally of what works for humans. Here's the menu. I love talking about menus with patients. Like here's the menu of things I can offer you that you may find useful. And here's the pros and cons of some of them. And then, the, and then I let the patient pick. And if the patient picks none of them, I don't have to be insulted by that. I have an option to be like, okay, well, I'm celebrating you for the choice you're making, but it sounds like there's nothing more that I'm able to offer you. So let me know what you want to do next, right? It's so much more empowering to the patient and it's way less pressure on me to know all the answers and to convince them of anything. And so like with the Google hypothesis ones, they, they come in with their Google and, you know, the, I do make sure I haven't created an anchoring bias, you know, so I do like, tell me all about the problem. I know you think it's this, but tell me all about the problem. I unpack it. I listen. And if it happens to match, I really celebrate the patient. Like, I'm so glad that you're able to, you know, I'm well, not that you're able to, I'm so glad that you t- care enough about your own health that you, you know, took the time to research this ahead of time. Right. And now together, I don't have Thankfully, now I don't have to explain everything about, you know, rotator cuff tendonitis. They already looked it up. They they made my job easier today. You know, that's like what I like to think when people come in with a Google. Even if it ends up not matching, because they have knowledge of something, I'm able to explain why, in my opinion, their thing is different. So if they come in, they're like, I think I have cancer because of XYZ, which is so common, right? Then that's still useful because then I'm able to say, oh, okay, but you told me this, this, and this, which doesn't match with what happens when people present with cancer. And so that's just why I am not as, I am not concerned you have cancer. You know, if there's some reasonable test to rule in and out, we can do it. But like, do you see how even if what they present with isn't what I end up thinking they have, it is still useful that they came in with some ideas and knowledge and that I worked off of that. And that's the other thing. So when I don't know the full answer, I still have full ownership and I explain to my patients what I do know based on what they've said to me. And I name it out loud and I find it very empowering for me. And I don't know, some patients roll their eyes a bit, but a lot of patients really appreciate even if I haven't actually, I don't do anything, I mostly just reassure them or whatever, they find it really helpful. Because first of all, it shows that I listen to them. And second of all, it still validates their concern. And so say someone comes in, they have chronic pain of some kind, we've done some tests, we haven't figured out exactly what's going on or exactly what to make it feel better. I always restate like, I, this is how much we know about medicine. And I like, 
do a little circle with my two hands. And then I say, um, this is still what's not known about the human body. And I like point to the rest of the room because like there's what we know and what we don't know. We're, we're still doing research. We're still discovering. Right now, what I can tell you is that I do know this doesn't sound like it's something life-threatening. It doesn't sound like something that is going to progress and get worse over time. This doesn't sound like something that needs a surgery, that a, that a medicine would help, that a certain test would help, like whatever it is. And I really put a lot of emphasis for my brain and their brain that that matters. I also then say, I am still with you that we want to you know, alleviate the symptom and see if we can reduce your suffering for sure. Sometimes we don't have like the name of the thing, but we still can help you feel better, even if we don't have a, the specific name of the thing. And I, I talk like this with my patients and it's, it's really important because like guys, like it actually is really important. The, the work I do ruling things out, we think of like these diagnoses of exclusion as these like kind of I don't know, they, they get some stigma or some shameful thing, but like excluding all these other diagnoses is really important and matters and means we're not missing something important, right? So um, that's a way that I speak with patients that I find I really anchors, again, myself in my knowledge and my, you could say, expertise in the situation um, and doesn't discount. I'm not just saying to them, I don't have an answer for you. I do have an answer for you. Right now, the answer for you is mostly what it isn't, but that matters. And so that means we're narrowed down on what it could possibly be. And we've ruled out really important things that would be like really dangerous for you, you know? And so that's a way that I kind of verbally in the room remind myself and the patient of the, the knowledge and expertise I do have. But actually in general, I got this from a social media post, uh, I think it was the crypto naturalist, but oh dear, I, I should have looked up. I don't remember the name of the account, but it was the the thing they said was like, I no longer want to be an expert. I want to be an enthusiast. That's how I identify. And I love it so much. And I'm, I'm, so I'm, I am also taking on that as my new identity. I am an enthusiast of the human body. I am a super fan of humans and how their brains and bodies work. I am a student and I am a teacher for my patients, um, but I am also a student of them and their lives that they can teach me about their particular context and what I have not yet learned that they're going to help me learn. And generally just like, I'm kind of like a hype person for the body. I, I love explaining things about the body to patients and showing them how their bodies are always trying to take care of them. Um, and I'm so grateful to share what I have learned with my patients and get curious about how it applies to them and their bodies. I'm a detective. I'm a scientist. I am not an expert, certainly not in the old supremacist oppressive way that I was trained to think I had to be. If I don't know an answer, if I don't know a statistic, I can definitely Google it myself, right? If it's of importance to the patient, then I can look that up. But often more than like stats and facts, people just want to be heard and they want to be believed and they want to be validated. And I am an expert in the sense that I am well experienced in all of those things. And I am certainly enthusiastic about the knowledge that I do have and want to share with them. Just like I am with you. I am not an expert on your life, your world, the inhuman stories that are painful for you. I share the ones that I hear that are common amongst my clients and the ones that are common for me, but 
there probably is an inhuman story that I won't know that is plaguing you that I'm really inviting you to reach out to me and share. So if there's something I haven't done on the podcast that you're like, oh, I would really love if Joan like unpacked this issue. This is something that I really struggle with. Please, I am not going to be able to cover everything without your your contribute contribution. And this is something that we're co-creating together. And the same thing applies with your patients. So if you don't want to, if you want to identify as an expert, but just you define what an expert is, like right now, as I was talking, I realized like, oh, I could think of expert as a person with a lot of experience. Who knows? Probably I looked up like the Latin origin. Maybe that's even what they meant. I don't know. But like, I can think of when I'm thinking of expert, I'm thinking of someone with a lot of experience. And then I want to, I want to claim that for myself because I do have a lot of experience. And when it comes to the knowledge I have, it's not that I have to have the whole library in my brain. Instead, it's about just being enthusiastic and a student and always constantly learning and getting curious about the human body and how what I know and what I've been trained um, trained to do and what I've been trained to learn, how does it apply or not apply to this patient and co-create that knowledge together with the patient in the room. So that is the end of this episode. Um, I would love to know what you think. I would love to know if you are going to reclaim expert in a different way, or you're going to start using a different word like scientist or detective or uh, enthusiast like I am. And uh, yeah, I hope that this brings less pressure to you. So instead, you can have confidence and abundance and celebration of everything you do know, the richness of what you do know and what you have experienced in all your years in healthcare. Take care. I would love to hear from you. Please share your human moments in medicine with me on Instagram at joanchanmd or on my website, joanchanmd.com. On my website, you can also find other restorative medical education offerings I have, including one-on-one coaching opportunities and skill-building workshops. I look forward to connecting with you there.